Who Feeds Us from Farmerama. Episode 3 Growing Our Own. As lockdown came into effect and we were faced with queuing for hours to buy fruit and veg from supermarkets, the idea of growing your own took on a new significance. In towns and cities across the UK, those of us lucky enough to have gardens or balconies, even if we'd never grown anything before, suddenly we were on the hunt for compost, tools and seeds. Many of us discovered, perhaps for the first time, the joy of eating freshly picked, homegrown fruit and veg. It's a joy that you just don't get when you bite into something that's been harvested unripe on the other side of the world, flown across oceans to be processed somewhere else, then eventually picked up from a chiller here in the UK, perhaps weeks later. But as we'll hear, individual self-reliance has its limits. Shared growing spaces, like allotments and community gardens, show us what can be achieved when we come together to pool resources, support each other, and work collectively towards true food security. Let's meet some of the people who are doing just that. My name is Astrid. I live in Birmingham in an area called Chardend, uh, which is east of Birmingham near Solihull. I live in a block of flats. Uh, we have two kids together, a soon-to-be four-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son. It has been a very challenging time, I guess, for everybody. We can't rely uniquely on supermarkets. It's not possible. Look at what happened. We're relying on foods that is coming from abroad. Our health and our happiness is dependent on all of that. We can't live like that. People ended up, you know, realizing what is essential to us. Um, So food is priority in my house. Feed yourself well. So, I mean, no chemicals, none of that. But like everyone, I don't always have the budget to be able to spend as much money as I like on food. What can I do? I want to be more eco-friendly and eat better and feel better with myself and help uplift my community in a more healthy way. But I can't grow food in my flat. Not possible. I could get an allotment, but I don't think I have the energy between my kids, work and everything. It's fighting this constant, you know, inner battle. Uh, and it's definitely something that has been making me unhappy and destroying me inside with what I'd like to do, how I'd like to live. But also, how can I live like that without living like in the countryside? I truly believe that you can produce your own food while still enjoying living in a city. So how, how do we do that? So I'm Neville Portis. I'm a land worker and allotmenteer in the Midlands, just north of Birmingham. Neville is part of No Diggity Gardens, a site for community growing, composting and learning. Since COVID and since the pandemic, the discussions have really been, what can we do? How can we help ourselves? How can we help our communities? Prior to that, it really was a self-sufficient drive for me and my family. So the dream would be to move to a more rural setting and to set up some sort of homestead. But um, when the pandemic hit, we looked at the the amount of people that we were surrounded by and and Birmingham and, and of course, all the people around you that you care for and that you're connected with. It just seemed completely pointless to be the guy on the hill with a few chickens and some vegetables if everybody else can't do a similar thing or the same thing. So yeah, a total change really from 
looking inwards to, to trying to provide something that everyone can use. My name is Dee Woods and I am a food actionist and campaigner for Good Food for All. Most of my work is based at Granville Community Kitchen, a community-led food hub in South Kilburn, Northwest London. So even though we've been doing food aid using surplus from the supermarket system, our garden space actually preceded the community kitchen. Initially with just a couple raised beds and that has developed over the years to allotments on a nearby estate. We've continued to grow throughout COVID. It's been a source of fresh vegetables for a lot of people, not just food, but comfort as well, just to come and sit in the garden and just enjoy it. When you taste something that's been grown with agroecological methods, that's grown in season and hasn't been flown in and in cold storage for months, I think that just wakes people up. And people have been rediscovering their connection to land and to growing and nature. And it's intensified because of COVID that people just want to connect. Uh, to go back a bit more to where I live, so in Chardens, we have a little space where we have a church, a library, and just at the back of it, there's this pathway where everybody is constantly passing through either to go to the park or to go to the community center. It's a great spot, but there's nothing going on there. The space at the moment, we've had already five semi-raised beds, two meters by two meters, big squares. The intention with it was probably to grow something, but there was nothing done with it. So I've started with talking to people around me. I'm on a couple of groups on Facebook and on WhatsApp. Um, they're doing urban farming. I'm myself not growing anything beside my herbs. But just seeing all those people doing those different things has inspired me, finding a way of growing foods in the local area. Now Diggity runs across two local authority sites uh, in the Warsaw Borough and we're currently looking after six allotment plots. Over that we have mini market garden style plots which are production spaces and then we have a educational kitchen space, an apiary, uh, a worm farm, a polytunnel, some chickens and accessible gardens. Um, and it was going to be a two, three year project of putting these bits of infrastructure in place. But when uh, the virus came, it sort of gave us the kick up the backside to get it all done. So that's all been done this season. And when you get onto the allotments themselves, you can see that there's a lot of unused space. So mediating with the, the management on the plots, it's quite easy to sort of make better use of the land, carve out a little niche. I mean, that's my experience being on allotments. I can see that maybe it's not the safest or most inviting place for everybody. So that's become a part of No Diggity's mission of making that, that happen and making it be a safer place for people of colour and women. So the plan is to grow food. The plan is to start with those five square raised beds. And we've been looking at how we can design the space around the people and what they need. 
there is no point starting this great idea without involving the local people. So that was our first step, basically. Um, I suppose as, as a part of that move from self-sufficiency to community resilience, it becomes apparent that the disconnection from nature and our food in general is really, really an issue and a problem. But it, it's obviously it's not, it's not a hard thing to do. Growing food is, is more about just doing it and, and watching and, and doing it again and watching. So, yeah, just encouragement more than anything. If there's any carrots to be pulled, the kids get to do that. If there's any potatoes to be dug up, the kids will do that. The adults will get into making compost or a bit of weeding or a bit of fermenting or we've got apple day coming up, so it's going to be a lot of uh, uh, apple juice. There's, there's seed sowing or at this time of the year we're doing a lot of seed saving. It just seems more and more and more important. Again, through COVID, all the seed banks, all the seed companies were, were generally cleared out. Under lockdown, small seed companies across the country were completely overwhelmed. In part, it was a 600% increase in week-on-week demand compared to last year. My name is Helena Schultz. I am uh, one of the directors of the London Freedom Seed Bank and regional coordinator for the south-east of England for the Seed Sovereignty Programme of the UK and Ireland. I guess we're at an interesting time now where we've got loads of people growing their own veg at home, which is great. And we want to encourage them now to get on board with seed saving. That cycle of storing seed for the either for the coming year or for exchange and, and distribution is as old as agriculture itself. And I think it's just that we've become used to a system where seed can be patented or genetically modified or owned and accordingly needs to be repurchased the next year, which leaves so many growers and farmers across the world in vicious chains of dependency. And so at the Seed Sovereignty Programme, we work on the regional level to train experienced growers who are wanting to produce and sell seed. And we also work with community groups to support them in maintaining community seed collections. And, you know, it's it's another one. Just get in and, and start. But as soon as you start, that snowballs in itself. So we've got a small seed bank running, which the allotments themselves have taken on as a project. Chard and beetroot, pak choy and Spanish radish and all sorts of stuff. Tomatoes, cucumbers. So, yeah, I mean, it's thinking a couple of seasons ahead when it comes to seed saving, but it's very rewarding. It's really rewarding work. Local varieties are far better adapted to local conditions, such as soil quality and climate, and so are also more resilient. As a species, we depend on seeds. To grow food, we need seeds. And seeds are pretty amazing. Plant a single tiny tomato seed, for example, and a few months later, you'll be able to harvest hundreds of seeds from the tomatoes that one plant produces. Seeds are the gift that keeps on giving or at least some types of seeds are. So I guess an important distinction is between open pollinated seed and F1 hybrids. And F1 hybrid seeds are the result of cross-pollination between two parent plants for desirable traits. So one example might be a particularly delicious tomato crossed with another one which is particularly resistant to blight. These are crossed using controlled pollination. And the resultant plants are genetically uniform. 
The real problem is that any seed produced by F1 hybrids is genetically unstable, not true to type, which means it cannot be saved. Open pollinated seed, on the other hand, is when pollination has occurred naturally. These produce more genetically diverse seed, which means that plants can gradually adapt to local growing conditions. This is particularly important in the context of climate crisis, and these seeds can be saved year on year. So open pollinated seeds are more genetically diverse, and you can harvest, save, and sow those seeds year after year after year. By contrast, F1 hybrids are genetically near identical, and they can't be saved and re-sown. They have to be bought in every year. So why were these F1 hybrids developed in the first place? Well, they do often have the potential to produce higher yields in any one year. And because the plants are almost genetically identical, they all ripen at the same time. They look more or less the same, and they're very predictable. But we live in an ever-changing world. No two growing seasons are the same. The beauty of more genetically diverse, open-pollinated seeds is that, over time, they often produce more reliable yields. And that's precisely because they're not identical. For example, because the crops don't all ripen at the same time, there's less damage if a disease strikes or if there's a surprise hailstorm. What's more, because of their genetic variability, they have the capacity to evolve and adapt. Now more than ever, our food security depends on that adaptability. It means the seeds can continue to thrive even as climate conditions change. So by saving and sharing open pollinated seed, farmers, growers and communities are helping to secure our food supply, making sure it can cope with increasingly erratic weather patterns. And they're also reclaiming collective control of the seeds we all depend on to feed ourselves, ensuring that we can all have access to them, even during a crisis like, say, a pandemic. Uh, between the links uh, that we've created with the urban farming groups for seeds giveaway, for plants giveaway, when you're someone who starts growing, you easily give away because there's always a moment where we produce a bit too much. And I think it's also in the frame of mind to share all those skills. And obviously that starts with seeds and plants. And so when you save seed, you are becoming a part of a movement that is trying to reclaim that process, that is arguing for seed sovereignty, which is concerned with reclaiming seed as a public good and a commons. When we are relying on large agrochemical companies for our seed, we cannot be building resilient, localised, just food systems because we're always going to need those external inputs. And so to be producing local, diverse, agroecological and open pollinated seed both on a commercial but also on a community level, is the beginning of a system which allows us all to have more ownership of our food system. You know, this is about long-term resilience and long-term food security. People bring things you've never heard of or they, or they bring something and you've never heard of it, they grow it 
and then you find out you know it from a different name and and those conversations spark off where names come from and, and the history of those things so culturally it's interesting that people bring a little bit of whatever whether it's something that, that the granddad grew for them when they were little or or you know these stories the london freedom seed bank the living seed bank which means that we get seed in at the end of the growing season and distribute that for free to whoever wants to grow food. Obviously each year we're reliant on a dedicated network of food growers who are saving and donating seed. And it also means that year on year we're often saving quite different varieties. We notice in London that the bulk of people who are saving seed perhaps have second or third generation migrant backgrounds. So there are some really, really brilliant varieties being grown like all sorts of squash all sorts of different corn that are tricky to get here otherwise but also seed saving is a practice which is so much more established in other parts of the world than here and so I think there is something really powerful about the rich diversity in what is being produced in London and who's who's producing it we've got this huge task of revaluing that kind of knowledge that is saving seed and that is producing delicious food. For me, especially being, you know, of Caribbean and Central American heritage, it is about liberation. It is about having freedom from a colonized viewpoint of what I should eat, how I should eat, what I should grow and how I should produce that food. So it is for me about reclamation of traditional African heritage and Amerindian foodways and being able to do that wherever I am and appreciate knowledge and skills that we have as a community around food and food production. When we understand sort of how plants grow and where they grow and sort of composting and seed saving, I think it provides a really firm foundation for people to start getting into the politics of food. But for me, it's about reclaiming a food sovereignty and sort of claiming a health sovereignty at the same time. It's about choice, not as an individual, the choice of which brand to pick off the supermarket shelf, but as communities, the choice of how and where our food is produced and who gets to enjoy it and be nourished by it. So what might food sovereignty mean for you and your community? Astrid is starting to explore that with her neighbours in Shard End. My name is Astrid and this weekend, with the support of local businesses and community members, we have organized a community event. This is the first step towards self-sufficiency, sustainability and a stronger community. After living through three months of confinement, it is an opportunity for everyone in Chardin to speak up on the changes they would like to see in our area as much as what they want and need. If we work together, we can create a communal space for everyone to enjoy. I encourage everyone to keep safe and respect social distancing. Activities we'll have on the day will be all free, planting and raised bed making, arts and crafts, seeds and plants giveaway, a bike repair stand, fruit and veg produces from the allotment, a DJ and some food. So see you all this Sunday. Bye.
part of the people also involved had the local allotments, so we could show everyone what can be produced locally. I think a lot of people were actually really surprised that we could grow such a, a wide variety of veg just a couple of meters away from our, our houses. Kale, cabbage, cucumbers, courgettes, <laughs> the list goes on. We can feed ourselves. And I'd like to get rid of the ideas that growing is either for old people that are retired or for people that live in green landscape. Anyone can grow. Anyone can do it. We just have to do it together so it's way easier to do it. Reclaiming food sovereignty also means learning how absolutely crucial the soil is to our survival. Learning how to look after it and to enjoy it. I think we have in our head constantly, don't touch it, it's dirty. When actually, go on, touch it, it's dirty, but it feels good. It really feels good to have your, your hands in the soil. And the kids loved it. Without soil, we have, we have nothing, so we can't really see a more important uh, place to start. Uh, composting suffers from a bit of an issue where it's just felt that you pile things up and you leave them for a certain t amount of time, ideally years, multiples of years. Obviously, depending on where you live and your situation, that's either possible or not. But yeah, the, the amount of questions and the sort of engagement we've had around composting uh, during this period has been amazing. I've had people doing composting in apartments, in flats, 15 floors up people thinking I'd like to just do some hanging baskets and a couple of pots and go into the store and there's just been no compost available. An obvious progression of when you can't get something you look around and find out how, how to do it yourself. So we have five litre buckets that are left with the person for the week and then every Friday uh, we pick those up. Some people put all their waste so they'll put cooked food and everything in there in which case we pre-compost it and we, we use Bikashi to do that. So Bikashi composting is the use of EM1, which is effective microbes. It's inoculated into a substrate. We use spent beer grains from the local brewery, sprinkled over food waste, then gets fermented for a couple of weeks. Um, and that concoction is what deals with the waste that we generally feel that we can't process. Or they just put green waste in, and that is food for the worm farm. People love that. They love to be able to separate the waste up and, and see that they're throwing less away and they're throwing less to landfill. Um, we've got two massive landfill operations that surround us and the smell on some days is absolutely awful. The council have allowed them to carry on their operations. So, but what, what do we do? It's, it's our waste, it's our problem. How do we combat it? And people really can see this as a tangible way of, of cutting down what they throw to landfill. I've got a very big vision. There is so much that can be done. And um, what's been wonderful with doing this is actually the amount of people out there already doing similar things. And it's actually just all about connecting all those dots. So with that space, the idea is let's start with growing food. Can we better that? Because there's no point growing food that nobody is going to eat. And that starts with us cooking and welcoming anyone that is, is happy to host the session. We are in one of the most cosmopolitan crowds. We could have people from Asia, from Africa, from Europe, sharing our cultures. 
after that, how can we make that space pleasurable? It will be more than just raised beds. It will also be a space where you can enjoy where you live, which we don't really have besides basic benches. But there we will have flowers, herbs, to watch, to look, to touch, to eat. Eating food together and cooking food together, but also growing food together. Provide that opportunity to discuss the complexities of a food system and the underlying structural issues that affect people's ability to eat good food. We have been experimenting over the last couple years with different ways of getting good food to people in South Kilburn. We always wanted to develop a community-supported agriculture scheme. And because of the pandemic, we've had to speed things up and we've just launched our Solidarity CSA scheme. Our shares starting at the cost of a healthy start voucher. So for £3.10, a family is able to get a small bag of vegetables. The solidarity comes in where people who can afford it pay more for their own shares. So that supports people who can't afford to have a share to have one. Community-supported agriculture is about a community working directly with farmers. So we're currently working with local growers within London, as well as farmers in Devon and other farmers who are members of the Land Workers Alliance. Hopefully we get that community buy-in, supporting our local farming system, building our local food economy, as well as meeting the food access needs of people. So what would it mean to have a food system that's truly resilient? And what would it take to achieve it? So I guess to my mind, a resilient food system is one in which people are able to produce and access sufficient, healthy, culturally acceptable food in the face of various, even unpredictable events. So it's about systems that are able to adapt quickly and make sure that all needs are still met. We are much more able to provide for ourselves and each other on a community, local and regional level. We're more able to funnel resources to where they are needed most. And I think that makes us more empowered to look after each other. We're fully embedded within our community, locality being the thing. We've got three schools starting in September and they'll be coming three mornings a week. That's the way we want to take it. We want to, we want to make sure that children have had exposure to this at an early age. So as they grow and as they start looking for other alternatives, they've got some sort of grounding. We always wanted to start our own farm. So that's coming along slowly. The main barrier is access to land and that's right across the board for any new entrant to farming, but more so I think for us coming from an underserved part of the UK and being in a city. So we're looking to access probably a minimum of five acres on the peri-urban regions of London. Part of what we're doing with that is starting courses 
around learning to grow your own food, getting people and particularly young people of colour or needs to gain experience and make that transition from sort of inner city community food growing to actually farming. Because the majority of our population are in urban areas and I think as well as developing more urban and peri-urban projects, we should be encouraging people to go out to the rural. We need people to be farming. We need to be more self-reliant and the UK isn't right now because we depend on that global food economy to feed ourselves. So I think meeting people where they are is always key to me, but then opening things up that you can move beyond where you are. And I think encouraging people in the countryside to be more welcoming of, of difference, be it ethnicity, gender, or sexual orientation. There is power in people communicating and connecting. And as much as we're all zoomed out, I think having Zoom has opened up a world of possibilities. People who would never really get in countryside or people who are in countryside who would never get to the city have been able to communicate. And I think we just need to be having these open, honest conversations about our political structures, access to land and about the politics of food and just come to some sort of common ground for the benefit of everyone here in the UK. Seed sovereignty and food sovereignty form the basis of a resilient, equitable future. A future in which we can feed ourselves and our communities, even in the face of climate change, economic crisis, or a pandemic. It's a future in which everyone not just those with their own land, can have easy access to fresh, nourishing, tasty fruit and veg. In the next episode of Who Feeds Us, we meet the millers and bakers quietly revolutionising our most staple food. This episode was produced by Alice Armstrong, the executive producers of Who Feeds Us are Joe Barrett, Abby Rose, and me, Katie Revel. Thank you to everyone we heard from. Dee Woods, Astrid Guillebeau, Helena Schultz, and Neville Portis. The community collaborators for this episode were Andre Reed and Delia Snusi. The project manager for Who Feeds Us is Olivia Oldham. Our artwork is by Hannah Grace, and the original music for the series is by Michael O'Neill. Who Feeds Us is possible thanks to the Farming the Future COVID Response Fund. We're very grateful to the A-Team Foundation, the Roddick Foundation, 30 Percy and the Samworth Foundation for providing the funds to make this project happen. Many thanks also to Dee Woods in her capacity as Farming the Future advisor for her guidance in bringing the team together. <laughs>